All right. If somebody is tall, a lot of times people will ask them if they've played basketball. I'm 6'4". I get that question all the time. It's kind of a normal question. Oh, man, you must have played basketball. How come when people are short, others don't go up to them and ask, hey, did you play mini golf? I'm Pastor Cold, and you are listening to the Daily Devotionals podcast for kids and adults. Now, we have some really interesting verses today. To be honest, I don't know how we're going to get through it all. I want to read it, though. Sometimes when it's a bit longer, I will have you read it, but I want you to hear how many things are going on here. This is how. Uh, this is from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through chapter 9, verse 1. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will also the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they sing the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Like I said, there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, Several questions that you might have. I don't think we're going to get to all of them today. We might have to even do a, a part two here. I'm not sure. We'll just see how far we get. But if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'll do my best to answer your question. Now, so remember last time when the disciples with Peter as their spokesperson confessed Jesus to be the Christ. Jesus, uh, some people were asking who Jesus was, and the disciples had several answers to that question. But then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And then Jesus told them not to tell anybody that. Well, we said last time that Jesus had a lot to teach them about the role of the Messiah, who the, the Christ was. Well, in this passage, we see Jesus teaching them. In verse 31, it says, and he began to teach them. So, What did Jesus teach them? Well, he taught them that he must suffer, that he would be rejected by the religious establishment in the world. The leaders of the Jews would not be on his side, and he would be killed, and he would rise again from the dead three days later. What is interesting is that Mark here tells us that Jesus said this plainly. In other words, Jesus didn't teach this in parables. He plainly said it. So Peter, again, the spokesperson for the disciples, takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. And basically, that means that Peter was telling Jesus that he's wrong. That's a pretty dangerous place to be, isn't it? Telling Jesus that he's wrong. Uh, and But we need to t- step back a little bit and take a look at this from the perspective of the disciples. You know, they just said that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And basically, Jesus told them, you're right, but don't tell anyone. And this is strange, right? They got the answer right, but at the same time that the Messiah or the 
at least what they thought of the Messiah should be, isn't going to be somebody that wants to be the Messiah in secret. That isn't a secret role. And in fact, in their minds, the role of the Messiah was one of victory, and he would lead the charge to victory. Now, perhaps the disciples are understanding that Jesus isn't exactly the Messiah that they were expecting, but they also thought, boy, we're on the ground floor of this, right? We're, we're at this, this whole revolution right at the beginning. And all of this means that we're the first ones to recognize who he is. But now Jesus is saying, looking forward, um, he's going to suffer. But not only is he going to suffer, he's going to die. That doesn't sound like a revolution. And that doesn't sound like victory. How is that going to work? It, it just didn't make sense to them. So the disciples couldn't get past this idea that the Messiah was this great military leader uh, that would deal with the, the physical oppression that Rome was, 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 was having on the, the people. I'm not sure that they, I mean, they, they, they knew Jesus to be different. But this idea that the Messiah is somebody that, the, this idea that the Messiah was uh, this military leader is something that they just couldn't put out of their minds. It was, it was their hope. It's what they, they grew up to believing and longing for as Jews. And this is why Jesus's rebuke of Peter in front of the disciples is so important. We usually focus on Jesus's words to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And, and that's extremely important. And it, it's extremely strong language for Jesus to say. And I think that's the point. Jesus was using very strong language, but it's the next statement that Jesus makes that is really important and we shouldn't miss it. For you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. What Jesus is saying here is that they're misunderstanding the role of, of the Christ. Yes, he's a liberator and he will free them from oppression, but not like they were thinking. They needed to think about spiritual oppression. They needed to think about deliverance from sin. What we really need is freedom from sin's power and sin's presence and sin's penalty. And this is what Jesus came to do. And the disciples, they needed to understand this. So when Jesus then calls the, the crowd over to him and he, and he comes back to something that he has been talking about earlier, right? Before his interaction with Peter. And that is the fact that he must suffer. And he tells the crowd that if anyone would come after him, that they would need to take up their cross and they would need to follow him. Now, in the time that this was written, to, to all these people, the, the cross was something that they would understand. The cross was an instrument of torture. It was a, a cruel and painful death for anyone that Rome deemed worthy of it. And the Romans would hang people on these crosses and they would make it clear what they did. This person, they would say, is a thief, and there would be a note saying that, and that people would walk by, and they would see this dead thief on a cross, and it would be a reason for them to think twice before they took something that wasn't theirs. So what did Jesus mean when he said that if anyone would come after him, let him take up this cross and follow me? Or what did he mean when he said that if you're going to save your life, you must lose it? Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Well, I, I think there's, there's a, a few ways to take this. I mean, but first, we could take this to mean that you can't be a Christian or you can't be a Christ follower unless you, you deny yourself and follow Jesus in this way of self-denial. 
right? Unless you, unless you die to yourself and follow Jesus, you can't be a Christian. You, you can't be his disciple. Well, we could take this this way, but that would make this as a requirement for being a Christian. And this view has a problem. It, it really would base salvation on what you do. How much is one to deny themselves before they're deemed worthy of Jesus? Do you, do you see this problem? This is the problem with any works-based system. The, the next question is, well, how much do I have to do? Or how much do I not have to do? Because any serious self-reflection is going to prove one to be unworthy of Jesus. I mean, think about this point, actually. If, if you want to work your way to heaven, work your way to be worthy of Jesus, work your way into a relationship with Jesus, then you never will. And the reason for that is because Jesus is perfect and we can never be perfect. We can never be worthy of him. This is why Jesus came. Remember what he was saying at the start when he was interrupted by Peter? He was saying that he must suffer and die and be raised. Why is it that Jesus must suffer and die and be raised? And that the answer to that question is that you and I need somebody to save us because no matter how much we try to be worthy of him, we will always fall short. And this is the, the greatness of the gospel that we can be found worthy solely because of Jesus's perfect obedience to the demand of the law that you and I continually fall short of. So what is said here isn't a condition of being saved, but it also, it does tell us something of the cost of discipleship, doesn't it? When one comes to Jesus and they realize, I don't, I didn't earn my way to, to heaven. I can't earn my way into a right relationship with Jesus. Only Jesus can do that for me by living a perfect life and then dying for me. And then I trust and I rely and I rest in what Jesus has done for me. In other words, when it comes to salvation, Jesus accomplished everything there is to accomplish. And we trust in him. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But we also say that faith in Jesus Christ is never alone. It is always accompanied by fruit. It is always accompanied by good works. Certainly there is a cost to following Jesus. A student isn't above their teacher. If Jesus suffered, if Jesus was rejected, then it makes sense that his followers would travel that same path. That isn't a condition to being saved. It's a consequence of it. And when I say consequence, I don't mean that negatively, like being a Christian has bad consequences. But the Bible puts suffering for the sake of Jesus in the benefit category. It's actually actually a privilege to walk that same path. This is the amazing thing about how Jesus changes everything and about how Jesus changes lives. He, he starts from the inside of us and, he, and it comes out. It, it, it shows itself in the way that we live. Over time, that changed life becomes more and more evident because of the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. It's really a, a miraculous thing when you think about it. So <clears throat> that's all the time we have for today. Join us next time for more of the Daily Devotionals podcast for kids and adults. My name is Colt Robinson. I am the pastor of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. You can find us online at BethelMBChurch.org. You can find this podcast on the web at DailyDevosForKids.com or wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments or a joke idea, don't hesitate to have an adult help you reach out to me. 
on the website or use the message feature in the episode description. Adults, if you like the podcast, give it a good rating. That'll help others find it. And I will see you next time.